Today we start a new journey. It's Elliot from Marine Collectors joining us, and we're going to find out what goes into a healthy pet, a healthy fish. What does it take to actually have long-term success and do it better than we possibly were doing it before? Yeah, you know, we're gonna kind of go through all the steps, you know, from the process of when you get the fish, what should it look like? You know, what does healthy fish actually behave like? What does it look like in appearance? Uh, if it's unhealthy, what does that look like? We're gonna go through how to QT the fish, um, how to set up a hospital tank and how to quarantine things properly so you can have a higher level of success than what uh, you're probably used to seeing or hearing about. Um, we're gonna make it really easy. I think that we will double the success rates. If anybody watches this, it'll be a 15 part series, but you're gonna learn things that you've never seen before anywhere else and all in a cool little condensed format right here on BRS TV. Starting with number one, what does a healthy pet or fish look like and how would I even know if I achieved it? You know, I think the definition that we should be looking for is that the fish in our home aquarium, it lived longer there than it would have in the ocean. You know, and the way that we executed that or the way that we produced those results was that we executed proper quarantine. You know, we made sure that the fish was parasite free and it wasn't having to constantly battle parasites and things that are gonna compromise its health. Um, you know, we dialed in their diet. A lot of fish have very specific diets and they actually need specific type of foods. So we did that as well so that they're covered on all bases on nutrition. Um, we also sized the tanks properly and catered to anything else that they might have needed. And if you're wondering what the number one measurement of success, how do I define whether or not I'm good at this hobby or not? It's not a snapshot or a picture of how well the tank looks like today. It's when we take that picture five years from now, how many of these animals are still alive? Number two, just do the best you can. It's all we ask. Yeah, you know, everyone's got a different skill set, you know, different amount of time, depending on what job you might have, and obviously a different budget. Um, you know, just do as much as you can to better the life of the fish and, uh, you know, actually make that extra effort. You know, there's really a dozen different steps you could do. Some of them really easy, some of them really hard. Uh, but the thing that I would get across is pick the things that you're going to do and do those ones well. Uh, don't just pick it apart and say, hey, I'm going to do quarantine. But I really don't want to do like three of the steps of quarantine because it's probably not going to work out well. So if you're going to do quarantine, do well. Uh, but each one of these things, you know, just pick the things that are manageable and do that one thing well, and you'll increase the success rates for sure. Number three, obvious after the fact, start with a healthy system. Yeah, that means that if you already have parasites in the tank, don't keep adding fish. You know, let's uh, practice some efforts of management first, and then maybe down the line we'll add some fish. Um, obviously the gold standard here is gonna definitely be to keep parasites out of the tank to begin with though. You know, through proper quarantine, we're gonna go across corals, fish, invertebrates, everything. So here's the reality of it. Uh, as we sit here today, uh, a lot, a lot of people haven't practiced perfect quarantine before. So some of these parasites might already be in the tank. And so when we ask you not to add more fish, uh, because putting a healthy fish in a tank full of parasites has a pretty low percentage outcome, yeah. it doesn't mean you can never add another fish uh, in the tank. But if you see an ick outbreak, now is not the time. Number four, it isn't yet, but I hope it's the future of reefing medicated fish quarantine before new additions. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people, they think it's really difficult, it's really hard, it's really not. It's a little extra labor, it's a little more uh, time consuming, but there's definitely ways to do it and methods about it that it's very achievable. Uh, you know, the best thing to do is keep parasites out of the tank uh, before they even get there. You know, give your fish a safe home to live. Um, something where they're not going to have to keep battling things off with a strong immune system and you're not waiting for a um, you know, disaster, a big stress event to kind of uh, knock them down. <laughs>
One of the things that people say uh, often is, well, I didn't do it in the first four fish, so it's uh, mm -hmm. useless now, which is totally untrue. Even if I did it in the middle, which will be most of us uh, mm -hmm. at this point in time, <laughs> hopefully different five years from now. Uh, but if it, even if I did it right now, I might not even have flukes in the tank right now. Mm -hmm. Let's not add them. Right, and that's why it's important even now in the middle. <laughs> but if you can set up a tank like this one, which is a glass box with some PVC and an air stone, uh, there's a pretty good chance that you could do this too, and it isn't as hard as you think, and we're gonna give you the exact outline in the series on how to do it. It's easy, anyone could do it, and should be part of all of our process. Number five, coral QT uh, before additions matter as well, not just for coral parasites, but for fish parasites as well. It's tough to swallow, but true. <laughs> yeah, you know, unfortunately, corals, they can carry fish parasites. You know, I have repeatedly, unfortunately, uh, added fish parasites to my own personal display tanks at home. Uh, you know, I love zoanthids, especially because they make a nice backdrop to my fish. Um, and I always put a frag in there. You know, sometimes I just see something that I can't resist and almost always I introduce ick. You know, a lot of people, they already have ick and the fish have built a resistance, which is why you might not see it. Um, but if you want to practice really good, effective ick eradication and velvet eradication, you know, keep all of those parasites out of the tank, it's a really good thing to practice. Now it is a numbers game, obviously on the fish, the host of the parasite is much more likely than on the coral itself. And different corals have uh, different components of the numbers game as well, meaning like uh, a euphilia colony uh, <laughs> with a lot of exposed skeleton has much more likely that it settled out on it than if I had a tiny little SPS frag where I cut off the plug, the chances of parasites living on the surface of uh, the tissue, tissue of the coral, yeah. at least fish parasites, really low. So there's a good, better, best to this. And in our Coral QT episode, mm -hmm. we're gonna cover them all. Number six, it's kind of hard sometimes, but avoid the time bombs. Yep, you know, I mean, my favorite fish, Achilles Tang, but that is not a fish I recommend to everybody. You know, it is one of those fish that's just, they do not have that chance to fight it off, uh, especially with Ick and Velvet. You know, they're incredibly susceptible to protozoan parasites, and it's not a fish that we recommend. You know, so fish like that, any of the uh, powder tangs, we call them, Powder blues, powder browns, gold rims, Achilles, you know, um, just bad choice because they often become a breeding ground for, uh, you know, protozoan parasites. What ends up happening is that you have a spike in parasite population and parasite density, and then, you know, you can have lead to tank crashes and you know, mass stress events will usually spark that type of thing. My best advice, if you love powder blues, Achilles, is start a fish-only tank uh, that probably doesn't have any corals in it as well, uh, and feature those fish mm -hmm. in that tank and do the quarantine from the beginning, because this is gonna be really easy. We're gonna show you how to do it. Everyone can do it. Yep. Uh, and then once you've done it, you'll never have to worry about those things in the tank. Uh, and now you can have all those fish without worrying about it. But if you're not going to practice proper QT, mm -hmm. the likelihood of an ick outbreak on all of those types of fish is really high. And even if you're raising your hand right now saying, no, 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 I actually <laughs> have done it. He's doing just fine. Well, you're just waiting for that inevitable power outage. You're waiting for that heater failure. You're waiting for any of that stuff to go mm -hmm. off, set off a, a, a element of stress. Yeah, big stress event type of thing that always leads to high mortalities. Even then, the next step, mm -hmm. if you're gonna not listen to any of that, now you need to set up your system with so much redundancy that 
none of that will ever affect you. Number seven, nutrition and diet. Probably one of the most important components of fish health, avoiding mortalities. Also the area that we are probably the furthest behind because most of us are just being told, put in some freshwater mysis shrimp into the tank, call it a day. Yes, fat important. Yes, protein important, but there's so much more. Yeah, you know, a lot of fish in the ocean, they have really specialized diets. I mean, tangs, they're one of the fish that like almost everybody has. In the wild, they're not chasing down, you know, mysis shrimp on the ocean floor, hunting protein, right? Those fish are only eating algae. They graze on the rocks all day, that's what they do. Moorish idols, something like that. You know, a lot of times they don't do well in captivity, but it's because they're not being fed the right food. You know, for long-term success with delicate fish like that, you know, they need to be, have, um, you know, their natural diet more replicated. Uh, they eat a lot of sponge, high fiber diets, super, super important fish like that. You know, sometimes I wish that, uh, you know, the people that sold the fish uh, <laughs> actually had on the website, like what this thing actually eats and the frequency that uh, it, it should eat as the person selling me the pet should actually tell me how to care for the pet as well. Uh, and like, I think of some of the foods should say this as well. It could be called Kalanis, <laughs> but it could also be called Anthea food. You know, tiny little planktivorous animal that's designed to be fed multiple times a day, really designed for, or I, I should say their digestive tract is designed for that type of food and it's gonna be way more successful. Sometimes we ignore these types of things as well. Like it already says angel food and that, <laughs> you know, it's filled uh, with ocean nutrition with sponge and for mm -hmm. some reason, we're treating like, you know, this shrimp is one size fits all. And you know what, for many fish, it actually is. A fish that eats prey all day mm -hmm. has high protein, high fat diet, and yep. it's perfect for them. But something like the tang, like you just mentioned, mm -hmm. we put these little clips on the glass here. We throw on a, a little bit of nori. It looks cool. It seems like it was fun. Somebody told me to do it. But what we lost track of is this is the primary source of its diet. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is all supplemental. We should be getting it, its intended food source. And sometimes we can look outside of the ways that people were doing it before, which is, I don't particularly like the nori because I had to put my hand in there. But then I can use those LG Extreme pellets, you know, which is a pelletized version, 77% LG, not a bunch of fat and yeah. protein, has all of that fiber, different solutions, but we're thinking about what the fish actually needs. Number eight, UV basically population control for parasites? Yeah, you know, it's not a uh, solution. It's definitely not gonna eradicate a problem if you've already got one, um, you know, but a very useful tool. If you've got ick in the tank or you think you might because you didn't quarantine your initial fish, um, it's a great additional uh, preventative, you could say, to uh, keep population down. It's um, definitely not a cure though. A lot of people think that UV actually kills the parasite. Once it goes through, it doesn't. What it does is sterilize it just makes it so that it can't reproduce. Like that parasite, once it goes through, can still go and feed on the fish. Um, it just won't be able to reproduce once it falls off. It breaks the cycle. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of these guys falls off and one turns into a thousand, eventually a thousand turns into a hundred thousand and so on. What we can do is process an enormous amount of that water. I mean, we're turning over almost yeah. all of the tank water in many cases, you know, three to four times an hour, trying to catch those things so that, you know, instead of having one turn into a thousand, turn into a hundred thousand, we can either, you know, find a point at which it stops the population explosion, or at least with really uh, terrible things like velvet, we can slow it way down so we have time to actually do something about it. Number nine, similar to that actually, is if we're thinking about the fish's health 
and we're thinking about low population of parasites in the water because we didn't do our QT for perfect to begin with. Actually, is a sediment filter. I never really used this myself using RODI, but not on the tank. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of an old school method, but basically the principle is that the uh, free swimming form of the parasite is a certain micron size, and then the sediment filter that you're going to use is smaller than that. So, um, you know, by just pushing water through, you can actually catch a lot of them and prevent them from actually attaching to the fish. Um, the great thing about this is that you can also remove them uh, once you actually change the sediment filter. You can also push as much flow through as you want. Um, you know, it's not like a UV where you got to dial it in, but you can actually just push as much water as you possibly can through it. It is a little more labor intensive, but uh, it's definitely worth looking into. So if you're going to do this, you're thinking about these big giant guys, big blues, uh, because it's a tank full of uh, organic waste. It's going to clog up pretty quick. You can think about uh, putting your filter sock before it, your roller mat before it, even maybe a bigger uh, sediment filter. Mm -hmm. And now that I know this, uh, I'm going to go look for what we call true depth sediment filters. Mm -hmm. Whereas, because we're looking for five micron or smaller to catch these guys, but that means it's going to clog really quickly on the outside. Yeah. If we get one of the true depth sediment filters, like a hundred microns on the outside <laughs> and slowly gets tighter and tighter towards we get to the center, we're going to get a lot more life out of it. Cool, cool method because way easier to install, isn't dependent as much on uh, flow oh, rate. Yeah but does have more uh, maintenance than UV. UV, once I get the flow rate tuned in, turn it on, let it go. I probably change the bulb uh, every nine to 12 months. Yep. Sediment filter, I might be changing that out every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Easier in some methods, uh, but does require a lot more maintenance. Number 10, a watchful eye, meaning after talking to Elliot for a while, I've learned that uh, what most of us think are signs of ick, brook, uranema, velvet, and all the rest, mm -hmm. Uh, are actually not signs of the disease that you could go do something about. They're actually end stages of this disease. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're much harder to deal <laughs> with at that point, but there's signs before that. Yeah, you know, we're going to kind of go through what fish behavior should look like. You know, are the eyes clear, are the fins clear, are the fins clamped, what does the respiration look like? You know, is it fast, is it slow, is it labored? Um, all those types of things. You know, once you actually see the physical symptoms on the body of the fish, it usually means that the population in the tank has actually gotten past where it's just infection in the gills and it's actually spreading to the rest of the fish. Um, you know, that's kind of a stage where it's a lot harder to combat once uh, it's gotten to that point. Sometimes uh, these things are a little vague, meaning uh, just because it's scratching itself uh, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's ick. But it can be a couple of different things. Uh, and often the treatment for one thing is really the treatment for all of these things. Uh, it could be medication, but it could also be just the kick in the butt that you needed to start thinking about how do I really care about the nutrition of this fish properly? Maybe I should install the sediment filter or I should install the UV. But if I'm watching for these early signs, I'll actually never see the end stage. My belief, this series is actually going to cut fish mortalities in half. Elliot thinks if you follow it, it'll actually be more than that. Uh, but the entire series, all 15 episodes, we're going to start building on them now. The next one in this playlist right here, which is the 10 things we wish everyone knew about fish health.